you feel like you're ready to go and you cannot, you cannot bring it and you go somewhere else. And uh, this morning I'm going over to John chapter 8 and uh, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for whenever the word is preached, uh, the Holy Spirit will do the work, right? Some people say, well, um, I have the exact, the exact message God gave me to preach for you. I think that happens sometimes. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But that also puts a lot of pressure on you too. Like, boy, I didn't get anything out of that. What's you know? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it brings up some other questions I have when sometimes when that thing things like that get done. Sometimes that's just manipulative. But anyway, that's another thing. But uh, but sometimes, yeah, actually, you know what? Sometimes the Lord moves us from things and brings us to other areas of the Word of God. And here's what I've come out with: wherever it's preached, it works. And it's all the Word of God, and we're thankful for that. And for some reason this morning, we're in John chapter 8. Brother Jim read our text this morning. And Jesus, at this point in John chapter 8, is in, uh, is in his public ministry. And here it opens up with the scene of him at the Mount of Olives. And uh, it seems to me that he may have spent the night there or something, because he's there overnight, and then the very next morning he's going in, into the temple there. If you'll notice chapter 7, just look up in verse 50 there. It says, Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before he hear him, and know what he doeth? Then answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and every man went unto his own house. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. It seems as if Jesus stayed the night in the Mount of Olives. Um, but we come here in this scene, and here he is in the Mount of Olives, overlooks the valley of Jehoshaphat. You can see there, uh, you're going in the areas of the Garden of Gethsemane. On the other side of that valley is the, uh, is the temple. You come down. Uh, I've walked it, Brother Davidson. I bet you've walked it too. You come down out of the, out of, out of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what's that place called? The Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. You come down through that valley and you go back up into the area where the temple is. And from the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, you can see the eastern wall of, uh, of, of the old city. Today it's sealed up, but in, that eastern gate is sealed. It was sealed under Suleiman in like 1540-something. Uh, the Ottoman Empire sealed that, that eastern gate up. But in Jesus' time, that eastern gate was still open. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be opened again one of these days. And Jesus is going to walk through that eastern gate. That's going to be a wonderful thing. And right now, the Muslims have a, have a graveyard planted right in front of it because they think that's going to keep, uh, keep uh, anybody from going, any Jew from going through there. Uh, but uh, it's not going to, it has no bother to the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll go right through just fine. And in chapter 8, though, we come here, here he is. And at this point, we see a shift in the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. He is a marked man after this point here. And uh, from here on out, the religious leaders are going to do everything possible to trap Jesus into something to either get him just to, to shut his mouth or to find him something worthy of death. And so just for context, I want to remind you where we are, how we got to here in chapter 8. And I want to just briefly show you up to this point, 
all of the people that Jesus has already spoken to. We saw here he came to Nicodemus at night, who was a religious uh, leader, a Pharisee, a Sanhedrin, no doubt. He talked to the woman at the well, the Jews would have called that half-breed Samaritan, with five previous husbands. He has already talked to himself and pre- or talked to these people. He has presented himself as the way, the truth, and the life, which he is. Amen. He has presented himself to the nobleman's son. He has presented himself to the impotent man who is at the pool of Bethesda. He, he, he presented himself here as the healer, and he is. We see here that Jesus, in the feeding of the 5,000, that he presents himself as the provider, and he is. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, we see here that the blind see, and the lame walk, and the hungry are fed, and forgiveness is available, and many put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So up to this point, Jesus has presented himself as the solution to man's problem, right? To the religious, he is a relationship. To the off-scouring of society, he is accessible. To the powerful, he is all power. Amen. To the weak, he is strong. To the hungry, he is satisfaction. And I want to be clear this morning, whether you're here or whether you're watching online, everything you need and everything you desire is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm thankful for that this morning because if you've lived long enough, you'll be disappointed and discouraged at what the the world has to offer you. You'll come away empty every time. And if you come away with something, it doesn't last very long. Amen. But Jesus, Jesus is all we need. He satisfies. Now that Jesus has established himself with the ability to do the works of God, he has now began to teach the word of God. And up to this point, there has been hundreds of years of erroneous teaching uh, uh, by the religious leaders of Israel. But the point of Jesus' teaching isn't simply to correct error, though it does. But the point of Jesus' teaching is to show the inability of the law. This is what he's going to do here. The law cannot heal anyone. The law cannot feed anyone. And the greatest problem there is, the law cannot save anyone. It was never meant to save anyone. It was meant to show our inability and and its inability to redeem us at all. To show our inability uh, in ourselves and that it cannot redeem us. Uh, If you'd listen to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, what a great passage. You can turn over there if you'd like to. Hebrews 10 and verse 1. If you don't make it there, I'll start reading. That's okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. We see here, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. I'm sorry, let me read it correctly. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sin. Hey, do you see what he's saying? If, if the blood of bulls and goats could take away your sin, they wouldn't have to go back every year. The conscience of sin would be gone. 
<clears throat> so look what it says. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Why? For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. You see, the killing of the goats, the killing of the bulls, it was a picture of the coming Messiah. The law declares us guilty. Yes, the law determines our, 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 uh, our penalty, which is death. The law demands the payment. Yes, absolutely. Therefore, the law is our jury and our judge. And, and, and this is the, exactly the aim of what is going on here in chapter 8. The, 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 the religious leaders are going to be jury and judge, but Jesus is going to reveal something much greater than that. And I tell you, it's a glorious thing that he shows us in what, listen, in something that they have tried to bring to Jesus to catch him, right? You're not going to catch God, folks. You might as well stop. <laughs> they brought these to catch him, but he's going to turn it around and he's going to show us something beautiful here today. And in, in chapter 8, we see here that the law reveals sin. I've said it before, the law is an x-ray. It's an MRI. It's a PET scan. It shows you what's wrong, but it can't cure the problem. He has gone to the temple once again here in chapter 8. The people came to him. They came to him, and he taught them here, uh, that, as Brother Jim has just read for us. And, and then in chapter 3... While he's teaching the people, and obviously the scribes and the Pharisees aren't real happy about it. Hey, listen, they don't like their power challenged. They don't like their prominence that they have challenged by this rabbi that everybody's flocking to. So they think they're going to catch him. And here they come in verse 3, and look, and it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, which is the, means rabbi, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Well, this brings up a lot of questions. But beside any of the questions you might have, here it is, they've brought this woman and they have stood here in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in verse 4, what they're going to do is they bring up the law. They're bringing up the law of, men, uh, of, of Moses uh, here in verse 4, they, they, that she was caught in the very act, verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Where did they get this from? Well, they got it from Exodus chapter 20. It's very, very explicit. When, when, uh, when God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit Adultery. This was the law of God. I don't know how that could be more plain. To be in a marital relationship with somebody who is not your husband or wife, I, we might as well say it again here today, that's sin. Amen? It absolutely is. And you know what that includes? Whether it's a man or a woman, or a man or a man, or a woman and a woman. Right? Because a man and a man can't get married anyway, and a woman and a woman can't get married. It, listen, they're living in sin. It is, it is, it is not... It is, it, is, it, is, uh, it is ungodly, it is wicked, it is against the law of God. And so they had, a, they, had a, they had a truth here. They brought this woman, supposedly, caught in the act of adultery, and they said, she's guilty, but what do you say? Moses said she ought to be stoned, but Jesus, 
Rabbi, Master, what do you say? You're teaching all these people. They're flocking to you. You're healing. You're feeding. You're doing all these great things. What do you say? What do you say? You see, the purpose of the law, though, was to reveal to us what's, what is, what's on God's mind, what God's mind is, what is God's mind of what he, declared, what he believes is sin. I think that made sense. Romans chapter 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Paul says this, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. Isn't that a great revelation? What is lust? It's covetousness. Wanting what's not yours. Isn't that, that's pretty simple, actually. That's a side note. Not really. I'll just throw that in there for free. So watch this. The law reveals sin. But the law requires a sentence. Once, once an individual has gone to court and is found guilty of crime, the next phase that comes along is, is the, 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 the sentencing phase. Now, they may be sentenced right there. Sometimes it's, it's, it's in front of a judge and there's no jury, and the judge finds the sentence. But then other times, if it's a jury trial, they will come back at a later date after they're found guilty, and they will be sentenced according to the law. So within the law that reveals the sin is also the law that requires the sentence of the crime. What did these men say? She should be stoned. They weren't wrong. Leviticus 20.10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer, hold on, and the adulteress should surely be put to death. Yeah. Do you think God takes adultery seriously? Wow. Yeah. Well, we don't do that anymore. You better be thankful. <laughs> right? But this is God's mind. No, this is showing how, how drastic God believes this sin is. Right? It's right up there with the murderer who takes another man's life. Right? God says his life should be taken from him. So notice what these Jews have done. They have brought this woman taken in adultery. They have told him in the very act. Right? So they have witnesses, supposedly. There are witnesses there. There's, there's substantiating evidence. They have a lawbreaker with them in person. And let me say this, from what we get of the text, the woman has never said, this isn't true. She's, she's quiet. Why? Because it's true. There's only one thing left for them to do. Pick up the rocks and stone her. Why? Because according to the law, this is what's supposed to be done. And this is what they were living by. They're living by the law. Stone her. Do you know what's missing in this trial? The man. Where'd he go? Where's that joker? That was a nice way to say something that should have been said worse. Where's this guy? See, this is immaterial to the case because the real reason for bringing the woman to Jesus is actually found in verse 6. Look what it says. This they say, tempting him that they may have, that they might have to accuse him. 
They weren't concerned about the law. They weren't concerned about this woman. They weren't really concerned about the adultery. They just wanted to bring up something tricky to catch Jesus and that they might have something to accuse him by so he would get away out of their life and they could go back to, to running their own life they want it the way they want it to run. Now think about this for a moment. The Jews are trying to catch the one who not only created them, but they're trying to catch the one whose law they supposedly cherish. <laughs> yeah. Master, Moses said, right, such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Right? You claim to be the Son of God. You claim to be the Son of Man. What do you say about this law? They have the crime. They have the perpetrator. They have the eyewitnesses. but we haven't had the cross-examination of the witnesses yet. <laughs> the great lawyer, who's your lawyer today, you know that? Jesus is your lawyer. Amen. He's interceding for you at this very moment. The great lawyer stepped up because we know the credibility of a case hangs on the veracity of the eyewitnesses. V very much it does. Hey, if the, if the witnesses aren't credible, it becomes harder to prove the guilt of the supposed perpetrator. So Jesus turns his attention to the Jews who brought the adulteress to him. And, and notice the end of verse 6. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You ever see anybody while you're talking to them, they just turn around and start doing something else? They're actually doing something based on the conversation you have, but it seems like they've just shut you out and they've turned to do something else. This is what he's done here. And he turns his attention here to the Jews who brought the adulteress to him. What does he do? Verse uh, 7, so that when they, or verse 6, he began to write on the ground. Now, what was he writing? We'll never know. <laughs> All sorts of speculation that are sometimes exciting and sometimes weird. But we'll never know. I have my own opinion. Right? But uh, he begins writing on the ground. Look at verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Yeah. You see that? What did Jesus do here? He made himself a lawyer for this woman. <laughs> he made himself her lawyer. He went after the credibility of the witnesses. He never said, you're lying, you didn't see this. He could have very easily said, you made it up and you're a liar and she never did this. No, it's all true and they saw it. And that's not what he went after. You see that? Watch this. When, when, when the witnesses, they, they, what did they do? When he, when he said, those, those of you who are without fault, cast the first stone. And from the youngest to the oldest, they walked away. What happened? When the witnesses walked away, there's no trial left. There's nothing to, they, they, there's nothing to charge. You have nothing left to charge. And so with, within the law of these Pharisees that were so consumed, concerned about what was in Deuteronomy 17.6, Right? They, they forgot this part of Deuteronomy 17. 
It says at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, uh, he shall not be put to death. They didn't even have one witness. They didn't have one credible witness that could stand there and without that had no fault that could stand there and accuse her. And according to the law that they so loved, she was unchargeable. No, she was. And God knew she was. Right. Notice this. The law reveals sin. The, 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 the law requires a sentence. But the credibility of the race, of the, of the case, rests on the veracity of the witnesses. Now I want you to notice what happens next. Can I tell you this? Attorneys are not judges. Now, some attorneys become judges. But if you're acting in the, in, the, in the place of an attorney, right, for a client, you're not the judge. You will say, yes, Your Honor, just like the others will. So as these men walk away, Jesus is left alone with the woman. And he says to her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Where'd they go? And she says, no man. Watch this, Lord. (laughs) No man, Lord. And I love his response. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Don't miss this. She was guilty. She knew she was guilty. Why? Because Jesus said, well, she knew, but how did she know Jesus knew? He said, go and sin no more. He knew. She knew. But watch this. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Why did he say that? Well, Jesus didn't condemn her because the law already condemned her. He didn't come as judge. The law was her judge. Uh, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? Jesus didn't condemn her because He wasn't on the earth at this time as judge, but He is on the earth this time as Savior. And listen, He is going to be judged someday, but not now He is not. And as He was with this woman is how He is today. He is not judged today yet, but He is Savior. The law already condemns. We know that we're sinners and the world is lost in sin. We know that. But what we have concern of today is not the, the, the condemnation. We know that. What we're looking at today is the Savior. And in John twelve forty seven, Jesus said, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And you can't see it more beautifully illustrated than the way he spoke to this woman. Neither do I condemn thee. See, when I think of Jesus as Savior, I'm reminded that like this woman taken in adultery, we too were loaded down with a bunch of sin. Well, it may not be like this, but you had your own, right? right? Unfortunately, not everybody's brought to Jesus. Some have been dragged to church, but it didn't help. Some have, been taken, taken, have taken their sins to religious works, and they taught Sunday school, and they were a deacon, and they were trustees, and they went to visitation, and they tithed, and they gave offerings. 
But the, in the world might have called you a, a great religious person, but it didn't work. Hey, you know, some have taken their sins to their religious rulers. They tried Buddha. They tried uh, Deepak Chopra. They have tried Joseph Smith. They have tried Mohammed. They have tried their priest, but it didn't work. No, some people have taken their sins to the altar of alcohol and drugs and food and entertainment and illicit relationships, but it didn't work. Oh, but no, what happened one day? One day you brought all of your sins and you stood before the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you knew you were a sinner. You remember that day? Do you remember? No, you knew you were a sinner. You tried everything to rid yourself of the guilt. You tried every other work there was out there maybe to, to, to feel like you were a good person and you just really weren't that bad. You tried everything you could, but that day you finally believed that you were a sinner and that, uh, that Jesus could take away your sin and you believed that he would take away your sin and you knew that your sin, you knew it, you knew it, you knew it was against the one who created you. You knew it. What did you do? You came to him as Savior. Not as judge, as Savior. And you asked him to forgive you. Amen. You said, I believe you. I believe you came up from the dead. I believe you raised from the dead. I believe you, whatever you did on Calvary. I believe what you did there. I believe however that transpired, however the blood got to the mercy seat, whatever happened there, I just believe it, that it's enough, and that it will take my sin away, and I want it. However the words were. You know what happened? You walk God up out of that place. Yeah. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. Yeah. You were justified. You were saved. You were sanctified. Yeah. Do you remember that day you got up as a new creature? Do you remember that day when old things were passed away? All the dead things were passed away. All things had become new. Do you remember that? When your past, your present, your future, uh, sin was done away with and, uh, under the blood of Christ. Do you remember that day? you remember it? No, not the, not the day you went to church. Not the day you got baptized. Right? Not the day you had somebody pray over you. <laughs> the day you, you personally, you alone, stood before the God of heaven and said, I'm wrong and you're right. Yeah. The day you came to Jesus with all of your sin, you didn't come to Him to be your judge. You came to Him to be your Savior. Yeah. See, judges judge, but Jesus saves. Judges judge, but Jesus saves. The law is the judge. The law judges. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We know. But Jesus, Jesus saves. Have you met the Lord Jesus? No, you personally. Have you met Him? You remember the day you met him? Brother Allen, you thought you were saved before you ever got to the altar the moment you walked out of that pew, didn't you? Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I love how God knows a heart. Yeah. He knows confession's coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the load of guilt still weighs heavy on you. Maybe somebody here, maybe somebody watching, I don't know. I look around the room and I have a hard time thinking that's anybody in here, but I don't know. Maybe it's hard to sleep at night because there's a battle going on for your heart. Maybe your past seems too big to bring to Jesus. It's too dirty. It's too gross. 
Can I remind you who is, who is named among the blood-bought, born-again children of God? Can I remind you that there are harlots and adulterers and fornicators and drunkards and murderers and thieves that are now the children of God? <laughs> My goodness, some of them are in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Listen to me today. Jesus isn't standing here this morning as your judge. The law already does that. Jesus is standing here this morning as your Savior. And if you had come to Him, He'll take away every last sin as far as the east as the west. He'll cast into the depths of the sea. He'll make you a child of God. Why? Because judges judge. But Jesus, Jesus saves. Can I tell you, this is the message that we're carrying throughout the world. Can I tell you, this is the message that ought to sit upon our heart as we go out into the highways and the hedges, as we live our life, as we encounter our neighbors, as we encounter those at the grocery store, as we go to the job, as we go to work, as we go to the doctor's office, whatever we're doing. Do you, do you realize this is the message that we're carrying to the world? Not that Jesus came to judge the world or to condemn the world, but He came to save the world. And that is the message that we're carrying this is the message that we're taking into all the world that we're seeing, uh, 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 that, that our purpose of why we're here, the thing back there that hopefully one day will be put up on the wall back here. He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That's why we're here. Because we have a Savior that we're trying to show the world and tell the world about a Savior. A Savior. That's why when people, I have opportunity to, to witness to people, and I know some of you are the exact same way, I know it. And they'll say, but this, or I'm this, or I, I always get this, well, I'm atheist. Okay. I'm not their job, what am I going to do? <gasps> right. Well, I've done, no, they'll tell you, I've done this, and I've done that, I've done this. Okay. So what? It doesn't change. It actually reinforces the fact that you need a Savior. And Jesus will save you. Right? Well, I'm too bad. Actually, wouldn't the reverse of that make it even more of a Savior? If you're really bad, does it make him even more of a Savior? Right? I mean, you can look at it other ways. No, this is what we're taking into the world. He is a Savior. He saves. It's good news. It's the gospel. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, harlot, a, a woman living in adultery, guilty of her sin, and she knew it, and she knew it. And Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn you. He said, I came to save you. I came to save you. He is Savior, amen? Father, it seems kind of a strange place to stop here, but I'm going to end. And Father, I'm thankful personally for the day that you saved me. I'm thankful at this stage of life I can look back and, and saw that you were pursuing me the whole time. I'm thankful I can look back and see that you were reeling me in little by little. You were pursuing me. And you have pursued everyone that is in this room. You've pursued every one of them that is in Christ today. 
And the ones that are not in Christ, you're still pursuing. And they can come today. So Father, I thank you this morning for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that we have a Savior. You said, he said himself, for he shall save his people. It was said of him, he shall save his people from their sins. <clears throat> so Father, would you help us this morning? Number one, rejoice in that. Spend a little time to thank you for it. But also, Lord, that it would be a reminder for us as we live our day-to-day -day life. This is what we're bringing to the world. Not a judge, but a Savior. We're not bringing condemnation. We're bringing salvation. We're not bringing a, a, a wild-eyed look and a, a, a crazy look of how on earth could you do that. We're bringing compassionate God who loves the world just like you loved us. Father, I pray you'd etch that deep into our heart today. That we have a wonderful thing, a wonderful gift for the world. Lord, you'd help us today to do more than we ever thought possible to get this good news out to those that need it. Lord, I thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand for the invitation this morning. The instrument's going to play. Some are praying. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you today. Maybe a good time just to thank the Lord that He's Savior and not judge. Let me ask you this. How many can raise their hand this morning and say, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I remember the day that I called upon the Lord and I was born again. How many can say that? Hallelujah. There could be some watching online or some in here that couldn't raise their hand. If you'd contact us, we'll take the Bible and we'll show you how you can know that you can be born again. If you'll stay after service, we could show you, take the Bible and show you how you can know that you can be born again. Christian, let me tell you this this morning. The message isn't just simply to Remember and to feel good about our salvation. It's a wonderful thing, and I'm glad for that. I like that. I want it. But this message is a reminder to us that multitudes around us need to be brought to Jesus. No, when we bring them to Jesus, it's not like the Pharisees brought them. Don't bring them to Jesus like the Pharisees did. We're bringing them to Jesus knowing that He can fix them and that He loves them and that He wants them. No, we're not bringing him to him as a judge. We're bringing to him the Savior. Yeah. When, when, when God, you know when God saved you, He foreordained that He would conform you to the image of Jesus. Yeah. And what, what did Jesus do? He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I tell you the more that God conforms you to the image of the Lord Jesus? the more that should mark our life to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you bringing them in? Are you fishers of men this morning? How about you? Jesus saves, amen. Absolutely. There's a lot to do out there, folks. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of these ladies, women out there. They're not women. They're women and men. There's a lot of these. Yeah. 
that all that religion has for him is judgment. Right? But Jesus, Jesus has forgiveness and restoration. And that's our job. Praise the Lord. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. Be back tonight. Brother Ryan Goodall will be preaching tonight. Looking forward to that. And uh, so his mother's here to keep him in line, so I have no worry. She, she's tough, I can tell. And uh, he will be in fear and trembling. So uh, be back for that tonight. He's going to show us the field of Columbia. And I'm looking